everyone, and welcome back to another episode of Decon 101. This is our sixth and final episode of season one. Today, I'm your host, Emily Danko, and I'm joined by... Here, Monica Elvin. And Michelle Brown. And we're also joined by our producer extraordinaire, Candace Hopkins. But before we get started with our conversation today on borders and social construction of borders, mm-hmm. I'd like for us to intentionally... Uh, center ourselves and acknowledge that while we are convened virtually, we are still physically somewhere and the land on which we occupy matters. The history of the land, its gifts, its original inhabitants and stewards matter. I am currently on the invaded unceded land of the Spokane tribe and the connected tribes of this region who in all their beauty, love and strength continue to resist oppression and colonization. I ask that you pause and join me in countering the doctrine of discovery with the truth about who was here first and reflect on whose land do you inhabit and reflect beyond just the land and consider the people whose ancestry and life ways are intimately tied to that land. We also must hold that it is insufficient to simply acknowledge the land. We must ask ourselves, how are we centering the voices, leadership and solutions of indigenous people from around the world and in our communities. Please join me in taking Mm -hmm. a moment to consider the land, its original stewards, and our role in interrupting anti-indigeneity. Thank you. And if any of you, our listeners, are interested in learning what indigenous land you are currently on, there's a great website. Um, I can't remember the name of, but I will definitely put the name of that website in the show notes. So if you are curious, you can use your zip code and location to find out what indigenous land you are on. Starting off our question about borders, we're going to kind of structure this in a different way this week based on some feedback that I got from a very good friend of mine. Shout out to Evan Catlin, who listened to every single one of our episodes yesterday and gave us some awesome mm-hmm. tips. I know it's so exciting that we have a listener <laughs> and I like, can talk to them about it. <laughs> we know he has a real name. <laughs> right? But yeah, what are three words that you think of when you hear the word border? So as I do with my students, I oftentimes give my example first. What about you, uh, Monica? So now I guess we get to kind of explain what these words mean. I figured that this would be a fun way to lead into our personal stories this week. So for me, my experiences with borders are pretty neutral to positive. I remember when I was really little, we would always cross over the Washington-Oregon border to see my grandparents. And to do that, we would cross over the Columbia River. And so there was always that physical barrier involved. And so for me, like definitely Oregon and river remind me of, or or like what I think of when I think of a border. Um, What about you, Monica? Clearly a little um, different there. And and I think this kind of, I, I like this reflection that we do because, you know, you realize when did you become kind of aware of, of these different things that, that we create as a society. And, and I think borders mm-hmm. for me was a lot later than, say, last week when we talked about race. I did not consider, I think, the, the idea of borders. I mean, uh, we always went on family road trips and we would drive across all kinds of borders and count the states we were in and all that. But I never really thought of it. Mm-hmm. as much of a dividing line um, until probably the Trump campaign. 
and uh, building the wall and um, and a lot about border control and policing. And I guess uh, prior to that, uh, when I was 16, I moved to Alaska. Again, this is still tied to politics because uh, Sarah Palin was she's from Alaska. We all know that you know, her famous quote that I can see uh, Russia from my house. And uh, so I think tied borders a lot to politics in that conversation, less so, I guess, within the country's borders, more kind of what separates, you know, the U.S. from from Mm -hmm. other nations and and how it's talked about in a political sense. So it it definitely came to me a little bit later in life and not as happily. (laughs) Yeah, I think for me... The words that came to mind, I think the first uh, words, the ones around limit, when I think of borders, I think quite honestly, I probably think like a little metaphysically and thinking about intellectual borders and like what appropriate to cross and like the borders that we construct in like our thinking. And then Mm -hmm. I think when I was thinking about power um, and even separation, I was thinking similar to Monica and like the geopolitical spatial understanding of borders that's probably been more brought to my consciousness in you know recent years as conversations of um, you know immigration border patrol mm-hmm. um, I think Monica's other word was like policing and so that imagery very much comes to mind and I think of borders I also think you know growing up I was always curious uh, when I was like in my in my grandpa's truck, like, you know, going huckleberry picking or just, you know, going on like nature drives and fact that, you know, seeing signs that like you are now on native land and who got to cross those lines and borders within borders and, you know, nations within nations and conversations of sovereignty continue to be of interest to me. So I think both spatially like borders, but then also holding space for like those intellectual borders that also are constructed. Mm-hmm like that you bring up that idea of intellectual borders and you know who gets to cross them because you know spoiler alert for anyone who's listening to this in the future we are currently in the middle of the covid pandemic and the covid-19 virus does not respect borders <laughs> it does not it travels very very easily between borders so it's definitely a vicarious wish i was traveling So kind of bringing us to our next question, um, I was trying to think, you know, how do borders influence people's lifestyles and point of view? And I was kind of curious, you know, you could speak on like personal experiences, you can think, think about the research that you've done this week, but how do borders influence our point of views and really inform who we are and what our lives are like? I mean, I, I love this question when when we were kind of talking about this earlier in the week and going into some research. Um, I found a, an interesting article that, that we'll tag in the show notes as well, but it talked about what Michelle is referring to, these intellectual borders that are created mm-hmm. um, in schools, you know, from very young age, you get put into different yeah. you know, reading groups or, or whatever it might be, advanced classes. You know, Emily talked about, uh, you know, some of her experiences in school last week um, and how you know, these intellectual borders also created these racial borders as well, you know, and and it's so, so I think it all, you know, ties really clearly together. I think we, we think of like colonization, we can put it in that Mm -hmm. term, you know, as this 
past tense thing you know when you learn about it in school it's this thing that happened hundreds of years ago and you know it's um it's not thought of as a present concern though it is taught at least i mean i went to school in bay area so a little bit more liberal but it was taught as this evil act talked about in uh contemporary senses and i think that's Mm -hmm. when we look at things like how uh you know it's it's used as an excuse for dividing racial lines and mm-hmm. and again we see that in intellectual lines in schools as well um you know mm-hmm. people tend to speaking from a sociological standpoint people tend to live up to the expectations that are set for them um you know mm-hmm. we we create our own self-concept based on perceptions that we you know gather from other people and when we're told you know that we belong in a certain place you know, we start looking as to who's not there, you know, and, and who is. And mm-hmm. That's how we come to identify ourselves. So it really does create this identity that is much more lasting than just those early childhood years. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, it, especially when we see it come to race, it, you know, it lasts a lifetime. Uh, so I think thinking about borders in, in these alternate senses, um, I love that Michelle brought that up, you know, is, mm-hmm. is important because we do tend to think pretty secularly about mm-hmm. about these terms this idea that we have this separation between almost like classes you know um and in schools and things like that when I was doing my research on like point of view and lifestyle and how borders influence this I found out so during Roman times we're not going to go all the way back to Greece but we're going to look at the Romans for Romans borders were a way of separating civilization and barbarism so separating people who are civilized versus barbarians but one of the things that they emphasized in the book I was reading is that innovation comes from people bringing in outside resources and ideas so you have to have diversity of experiences otherwise you just have like a stagnation of society it doesn't get to it doesn't have as much innovation you know so that that intellectual borders that we build sometimes are really a bad thing I thought that was really interesting how that connects yeah I love that way of putting it I mean that's just you know you walk into a room and yeah you might be more comfortable if everybody looks like you but are you gonna learn Mm -hmm. anything new you know if everyone is from the same place actually again funny story about uh moving to Alaska (laughs) at 16 I was still in high school at the time and coming from Oakland Bay Area very very liberal and um I remember being in you know, in government class, when you have debates and the teacher says, okay, if you want to argue this side, go on this side of the room. If you want to argue the other, go on the other side of the room. And, um, and it was pretty predictable at my school, Oakland Tech, shout out to the Bulldogs, um, very, you know, liberal sentiments. And then I went to Alaska and my government class literally did the exact same thing. It was, you know, you pick your side. And I was not the only person on my side of the room. There was one other person and she was also the only african-american girl in the entire Mm. class um so it was really interesting to to just you know you see these these separations and and it was really good for me though to speak with people who who had this different perception so that's i love that you bring that up because i forgot all about that i think monica what you're what you're bringing up you know raises me to think of like the question of like to what do borders serve you know and i think you know what emily was just saying about the romans and how borders serve the purpose of separation, right? Of keep, of of Mm -hmm. almost protection, Uh, protecting what's inside the border and keeping out what's outside. And I think oftentimes that imagery of like, you know, dystopian future, you know, and sci-fi, you know, images come to mind where you think of, 
the future of which there are these erected walls, these very physical and real mm-hmm. borders that are necessary or claimed, you know, quote unquote, necessary to protect what's inside civilization, humanity, you know, so I think the, the, that language that's associated with, uh, with borders and that sense of protectionism and that sense of identity. And so I think it's important when we're talking about borders is that they're not just merely, you know, geopolitical or spatial, but they're cultural objects. And so how are borders used to, to shape identity, you know, how are they a part of our mythology and our imaginary of who we are as people belonging within borders? And then also like who belongs, who does not belong and that whole conversation is very much, you know, mediated. And so it was really interesting in my research this week, again, shout out to Candice who uh, shared this resource with me, but it was this lecture from um, the University of Victoria from Dr. Edwin Hodge who essentially was creating space uh, to talk about the borders that are created like online and how essentially he's specifically talking about alt-right groups and white nationalism and how the sense of national identity and ethnic identity exists across borders, but even on a virtual platform and on, you know, the dark net, et cetera, they are creating borders that... um, that harness a specific identity and keep out others and claim and colonize specific spaces. And so I just thought that was so fascinating that as we continue to move on into contemporary times, that border theory and border practices is as much about policing the boundaries of cultural representation as it is Mm -hmm. about maintaining the boundaries of the state. Right. It's, you know, it's, you're talking about this, this idea of, uh, you know, borders are maybe erected for the sake of protection, but what's being protected mm-hmm. and, you know, for whom, you know, who is, who is benefiting from that and who is, who is being harmed. And, and I listened to that lecture too, and I'm not gonna lie, I was a little bit horrified. Right. I don't know if you, were, you had some <laughs> nightmares last night about that, but I for sure did. So thank you for that, Candice. <laughs> you know, that actually brings me, there, there was another piece that I wrote down for this lifestyle piece, and it was actually about nationalism, which kind of gets into this whole idea of like, our borders also protecting people's identities and their their beliefs and things like that. And in the book I was reading, it also talked about how borders really became more important in the American and French revolutions because mm-hmm. before you had a monarchy where it was the identity of the king that was important and the identity of the king dictated the power. But with the American and French revolutions, the power is in the hands of the people and collectively they give that power. So it became a lot more necessary so people were investing in the government and so therefore it was necessary to like keep people in the country so you could kind of maintain that base of power that the people have so I thought that was really interesting kind of brings me to the the next question as well is like what are the stories that maps and globes tell I actually want to answer this question really quick because I found some really hilarious not that borders and keeping people excluded is hilarious but I did find some really funny instances specifically focusing on like the Canadian U.S. border to keep things light this week a little bit um so in case anyone didn't already guess so we all live in Washington state so Washington state is really interesting it has four borders it has the Pacific Ocean which is like a natural border 
So, so, you know, some countries have natural borders in the form of mountains or rivers or oceans, things like that. Um, it also has the 49th parallel, which is the Canadian border. It has the Columbia River and the 46th parallel, which is Oregon. And then, of course, the 117th east longitudinal border with Idaho. Um, my favorite story about the Washington border was a dispute over the island of San Juan. And there was an American farmer who shot a pig uh, in his garden eating his plants. And this pig was owned by a Canadian fur trapping company and it almost started a war. <laughs> <laughs> there was another one, my favorite name of a war of all time, the pork and beans war. <laughs> So the pork and beans war was named for what lumberjacks eat. And it was a dispute over people were arguing over where the like main Canada border was at the time. This was in like 1840s. So I think 1842 was when the treaty like ended this war. No fatalities. So that's the good news. Um, but one battle ended when the men on both sides were cornered by a black bear. <laughs> uh, the key to ending wars. Right? And 50,000 soldiers were at the Canadian border. Like 50,000 American soldiers were put at the Canadian border to defend against the lumberjacks. <laughs> it was just so weird. <laughs> Whoever said history wasn't exciting. Oh my gosh. <laughs> so yeah. So so what are some stories that maps and globes tell thinking about like maybe history, politics, economics, and things like that? Well, so <laughs> I don't know if this is specifically answering your question, Emily, but be completely honest, when I saw this question, when you posed this question uh, earlier in the week, immediately when I saw the question about the map and stories that come to mind was a poem um, that's, it's only a few years old and it's by Nikki Finney. <laughs> and, you know, just because we talked about nipples in previous, uh, <laughs> previous podcasts, and I guess we'll just go there for this one. It's, it's, a, it's a poem and it's titled The Clitoris. Ooh. And what's interesting <laughs> about this poem is it's talking about essentially how how the size of the clitoris is never fully described. And uh, she equates that the lack of that truth being told to how uh, map makers never draw Africa to size, to the correct size. And oh. essentially says that map makers and others who draw important things for a living do not want us to know this. And so I just think that that's so powerful um, to just think about the power in map making and in drawing borders and nations and what's all what's all in that and what narratives we tell and what constructs and you know mental models we apply to to all that and again what power is in in doing such things. And so um, anyway, in all transparency, that's an, immediately what I thought of was this poem <laughs> called The Clitoris. And lessons from the clitoris. Yes, exactly. Lessons from the clitoris and how it relates to maps and borders. But that's, I, I love that you bring that up because this is, I mean, the whole 
point, I guess, of our podcast, you know, when we were talking about this initially, is to question these things that we take for granted. You know, I've never looked at a map and questioned if the was accurate. You know, that's never been a thought in my head. But now I will only ever look at maps and think of clitorises. But thank you for that. But, uh, but I will also question, you know, the integrity and the intentions behind it. Well, you know, on that note, I think it's time for us to take a quick commercial break and we'll be back in a few minutes. At Spokane Treatment and Recovery Services, we are dedicated to our community. That's why we have a sobering unit that runs 24-7 and is the first step into our detox unit. We are fully staffed around the clock in order to make sure that we can answer any questions over the phone while we serve our clientele. For more information or to call anytime, day or night, you can dial 509-570-7255. All right, and welcome back from that commercial break. So moving on from talking about how maps are like genitalia, um, we're going to move into our next question, which is what keeps borders in place? Like, is there a social pressure? Is there historical pressure? Like really what lets people, you know, keep these things where they are? Does anyone want to start? I'll go ahead and I'll I'll start with this one because I I mean I think in looking at these questions a lot of a lot of uh, it, obviously it all connects but I think um, you know I kind of answered this when I was looking at uh, the lifestyle and the points of view um, we've already kind of touched on this as far as you know who's keeping these things in place mm-hmm. um, and I think that's why my first association was political. Mm-hmm. Uh, just because when I think of borders you know I think of of the powers that be in and. I, I I mean, obviously, borders have existed uh, for many a year that, you know, it's it, we can't blame the Trump administration for creating, you know, borders. That's not his fault that they've been around. Right. As much as I may want to. But mm-hmm. but I think what what I, I guess my my association with politics, as far as it also being associated with policing and control is just that it's people who are already in control. Um, and this is something that Michelle has talked a lot about in these podcasts over the past few weeks, you know, as far as who these, uh, these socialized um, ideas that we kind of create, who they benefit, um, you know, and why is it that, that they're still in place, you know, despite obviously there are people questioning these things out there, you know, we're by far not the only ones. Um, but, you know, so why is it that there's social unrest and yet there is no, uh, you know, discernible end in sight? And I think that's just it is is the people who are in control, uh-huh. um, you know, are also the ones benefiting from these from these things, uh-huh. you know, and, and it's not to say it's easy to to think of ourselves or myself as, you know, the, the common man and, and believe that everyone shares my opinion. Uh-huh. And obviously that's that's not the case. I mean, we do see a lot of, uh, you know, we saw a lot of support for some more extremist ideas when it came to borders, Mm -hmm. you know, when it came to border control, we saw huge uh, support for a lot of stricter mandates, Mm -hmm. Um, you know, so it's, it's not fair to say that it's necessarily 
only politicians who are, you know, in charge of these controls and benefiting from them. Um, but I think there is a lot of uh, manipulation that goes on as far as, you know, why is it that we want to keep ourselves separate? Why do we th- think of it as an us versus them? You know, what what is this closed door mentality, mm-hmm. um, you know, doing to the culture of, of our people? Mm-hmm. You know, I think if you were to ask people in other countries, they would have some differing opinions about Americans yeah. and, and how we see, you know, the outside world. Mm-hmm. You know, it's interesting that you talk about like control and power because I'm going to challenge the idea that borders give people power. Um, I know we're going to get spicy. So as I was doing my research, my, so there's a library in Vermont and in Canada that has a line of electrical tape down the Vermont Canada border. So it's a library that actually functions and serves people in Canada and it serves people in Vermont. And people can go between both sides of the border. They can check out books, even if, you know, the newest uh, biography by Doris Kearns Goodwin is in the Canada section, United States citizen, you can still go over there and check it out. And there's another border that I wanted to highlight. I apologize to my Belgian friend Ward because I'm going to butcher this, but... uh, uh, Barla Nassau and Barla Hertog in Belgium. And I'm just going to send you guys the link because I want to hear your honest reaction to looking at this picture of, again, international borders. Oh, God. I, oh, I don't want to say that. Belgium is dark yellow and the Netherlands are the pale yellow in that picture. And we'll post the picture in the show notes so all of you viewers can look at this. <laughs> this is absurd. It took them 15 years to draw a border between Belgium and the Netherlands between these two cities. And if you are listening to this like on your phone and you can't see the picture, there's like a clump that looks like a bonfire and then a clump on top that looks (laughs) like some smoke. And then there's some little like dots in the middle of what looks like a campfire that are pieces of Netherlands completely surrounded by Belgium. Basically it looks like somebody threw up on a wall and exactly like it's, it is a mess of a border and it took them 15 years to draw that border between the two of them. 15 years and that's the best they could come yeah, up with. Yeah, and in one country shops are closed on Sundays and in the other country they're open on Sundays. It's bizarre. But people can like just <laughs> wander between the two countries. There's no need for yeah, control. Maybe that's the way it ought to be. Maybe we should take a take a note from this cuz you know as as much as my first thought when I look at this is that's absurd. Are you kidding me? You know, how does anybody keep track? But you know, why can't it be like that? Why can't it be this free flowing thing that people can kind of move in and out of, um, you know, and it doesn't necessarily need to be this, this clear, bold defining line. You know, I, I give it up to them. Good for you guys. What about you, Michelle? Do you want to answer this question? All right. So with that, we'll cut to a quick commercial break and you'll rejoin us in just a moment. Have you ever been curious about what makes a good leader? 
or considered running or starting your own nonprofit organization. Whitworth's University's Graduate Studies in Education Administrative and Nonprofit Leadership Program was designed for leaders ready to make a lasting impact in their communities. If you've ever thought about leadership or have aspirations of better serving your community, do us a favor and check us out online at whitworth.edu GSE. Welcome back after that quick commercial break. So we have just one last question. What happens when people cross a border, whether that's a physical border or an intellectual border, things like that? And can some people cross more easily than others? I actually have kind of a, a, a funny story that, that I thought of when, when you asked this initially. Um, I, I used to work for this marketing firm and long story short, I had this one client who was very wealthy. He was a consultant. He traveled back and forth between the US and Canada all the time. Tall, dark, handsome, good looking white mm -hmm. man. Like he's, you know, he, he's very unassuming, I guess. Not a makes probably 500 grand a year. I think we, we talked about it for a while, but he was uh, an Ivy League lacrosse player, all this fun stuff. So he uh, was telling me about one time when he was trying to cross the border from U.S. to Canada and he forgot his passport. And I was like, OK, well, you, you didn't you didn't go. You didn't get across. And he's like, well, no, no, I did. <laughs> and I'm like, no, how does that happen? That's not that's not the thing that's possible, you know, unless you're James Bond. And he said, well, you know, I just uh, I knew what to say and I kind of had the right words. And I sweet talked him a little bit. I'm like, OK, that's absolutely ridiculous. And I was like, okay, well, were you stuck there? And he goes, no, actually, I was able to get back across too. Um, you know, it wasn't as difficult as I thought it was going to be. And I just thought this was the most absurd thing I had ever heard because I just could imagine if it were a different appearing individual, if it was somebody who didn't appear to have financial success, if it was somebody who looked, you know, quote unquote, threatening, mm -hmm. you know, how would this story be different? There are some some swaying lines you know our borders created to keep uh you know our opinions about our, our social classes separate you know to, is it and obviously this is not the only reason but are they used as a justification you know um to to keep these these dividing lines because <laughs> again a, a, a more threatening looking human mm -hmm. would never be able to do this i didn't mm -hmm. think that anybody could you know and i think that does tie into a lot of our social understandings and, and kind of these preconceived notions about who deserves certain privileges mm -hmm. and who doesn't. But it, it just, it was mind boggling. When Candace's story, because Candace sent me, she said that she had an experience going from Mexico to the United States. I just wanted to highlight her story. So she, Candace grew up in San Diego and she says it was easy to get across the Mexican border and visit Tijuana for the day. One time I went with my uncle, siblings, and cousins, about six of us on the trip. Everything was fine until I tried to cross back into California. My family got through with no problem, but I was held there for questioning. I kept saying USA because I was so confused as to what was happening. My family didn't realize I was with them and they were getting further out of my view. I just kept standing there repeating USA while majorly panicking. USA, USA. Finally, I was let across and I just ran as fast as I could. It took me several minutes to catch up to my family. 
Looking back, making a mad dash across the border was probably a really bad idea. After that incident, I no longer <laughs> wanted to day trip to Tijuana. And then she also says that she was 15 years old and she's just barely, just barely begun to forgive her family for leaving her there. <laughs> That's like, you know, the kid being scared that their mom's going to leave them at the grocery store. Yeah, I <laughs> thank you for that story, Candace. I just have the visual in my head of you like sprinting across the border to your family. So I think, you know, looping back to some of what Monica said around about who has access to mobility and, you know, that being a really, a real conversation and such an intersectional experience of, you know, religion as well as national origin Mm -hmm. and uh, language and so many things that coalesce to the ability to move and have access to movement. And then also like, even within family structures, right. And how income plays a role in that. Mm -hmm. And so, I just think it's a, such a, a such a nuanced conversation and experience. And I think it's been a much bigger part of our national, you know, like US of A dialogue uh, in regards to borders and protecting our border and who has a right to our country. And mm-hmm. those kind of conversations and words um, come to mind. And I think of like who has access to, to movement. I like that, too, like who has a right to our country. Because I was thinking about it as, I, I said this earlier, but an us versus yeah, them mentality, you know, and I, I think so in the U.S. we're like, we're, you know, capitalist and whatnot. And we believe in this, you know, you earn what you get and you can pull yourselves up by your bootstraps. And it's like, well, that's all good and fine. But then when it comes to nationality and, and border crossing, you know, if somebody earns their way here, you know, we have stories of refugees and, and going through these perils that, you know, it would be unfathomable for us to to really Mm -hmm. discern but they've really earned their way here and yet we say you don't have a right Mm -hmm. to be here when the only right you know Mm -hmm. given to american-born citizens is that they were born here you know so we kind of throw this ideology of of earning your place in the world out the window Mm -hmm. when it comes to borders and and that's just kind of baffling to me um you know because it is such an inherent part of our Mm -hmm. american culture yeah as candace is saying it's like there's a birth lottery you know and we're kind of seeing the inverse of that now with the need for like COVID testing and things like that. We're like right now. So before in 2019, the United States, we could travel to 184 countries without a visa. And we were, I think like third or maybe fourth on the list of like the most powerful passports in the world. Now the country with the most powerful passport so the passport where you can travel to the most places without a visa is actually New Zealand. In New Zealand now, you can only travel to 109 different countries without a visa, but it's because of like COVID rates and the pandemic and stuff like that. Like they don't want to encourage travel right now. Wow, that is interesting how much, I mean, obviously we know, you know, we can see mm-hmm. in our day to day how much, you know, it, it influences our daily lives. But to think, you know, long term mm-hmm. and, and this kind of 3000 foot view, like, wow how how much it really affects these these things that were just inherently Mm -hmm. understood you know like you know u.s powerful crossing you know we have rights and access to nearly everything and now all of a sudden that i mean even canada to get to alaska you to, to drive to alaska you have to go through canada but you can't drive through canada right now as a u.s citizen without a quarantine so it's very interesting how borders are functioning right now 
Well, we are almost done. Does anyone have any last thoughts that they'd like to share or any last questions that they'd like to ask? I think one of the things I just want to like bring us back to, and this might be related to like the final question Mm -hmm. around um, like who can cross borders. And I think just as we brought up in the last podcast around race and uh, beauty and all the other ones is related to like these social constructs have real, you know, real visceral and somatic experiences mm-hmm. like on the body, mm-hmm. right? Like these aren't just ideas, but these ideas have impact like on, on our individual and collective bodies. And so I just wanted to remind us again that as we're talking about these social mm-hmm. constructs, also holding space for, for how the, the implications of them, as well as the opportunity to reimagine or to think about them in more like liberating structures mm-hmm. kind of way. And, you know, thinking beyond borders simply as, you know, we understand them and how, how can mm-hmm. we reimagine them? Yeah, especially because this is a serious topic. I mean, we, we've had a lot of fun with this episode. We've had a lot of fun stories but you know at its heart there are people whose families are separated because of borders and they're unable to visit families because of borders there are families who especially in places like north korea have not seen their families for decades because of the barrier that these borders present so there there is definitely as you said a real impact on people Thank you all for joining us on this last episode of season one of Decon 101. We hope you enjoyed our conversation and hope to see you soon.